Welcome to Sales Talk for CEOs. I'm glad you're here. I'll be interviewing CEOs who have successfully scaled their B2B sales organization. In each episode, I'll start by uncovering the sales background of each CEO, dig into the strategies they use to build their sales organization, and wrap it up with what the future holds. We'll cover the good, the bad, and the ugly of scaling a sales organization. I'm your host, Alice Hyman. Hey, I'm really excited today because I have the CEO of IntroHive here. I know I'm excited every time I interview a CEO, but I'm really excited to introduce Jody to you because he has a product that is near and dear to my heart. It's helping salespeople do what they do better by knowing who they're talking to and knowing how to better connect with them. So welcome, Jody. Thank you. Yeah, it's really great to meet you. I want you to tell us in your own words a little bit more about what IntroHive does and exactly how it works day to day. Because, of course, the CEOs listening all have sales teams. And um, I'm sure they'll be very interested in how this works. Yeah, sure. So uh, if you're in, in the sales function, you understand and you hear all the time about the importance of discovery. And really what discovery is all about is understanding who you're speaking to and everything that you can about them and not just not just talking at them. And so what our software does, it's customer intelligence. So it's basically, it's the sort of discovery before you ever speak to them. You can be prepared before you walk into that meeting. You'll know everything about them. You'll know if they were in the news. You'll know if the company was in the news. You'll know uh, who in your company might know them, what job they came from and everything else. And what I love is that it, it uses AI to look at your calendar. And so it knows what's coming and it can feed it to the salesperson. That's right. Yeah. It will, uh, it'll know exactly, you know, what's in your calendar, who is in that meeting. It can figure out their first name, last name, company title, and all their details. It'll figure out, you know, tons of different information. Even if let's say you're a wealth manager, you can get industry specific information, like know the wealth of the, the individual you're speaking to or the members of their household. If you're, you know, in another industry, it can give you the specific stuff that it really that you're going to ask them for when you get to speak to them. Yeah, this is fantastic because I know whenever I'm going to talk to somebody, I want to go look at their LinkedIn. I go to their website. I want to check um, Google. I usually have, you know, some sort of uh, information coming in from Google so that I know what, you know, the Google alerts, I know what's coming and yep. I want to get to know them and their industry before I'm actually on the phone with them. Now, you and I were talking about this earlier before we started recording. Uh, today, it's a lot about volume and we have SDRs, you know, dialing, 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 right? And just trying to reach someone who they don't really know, but they do know that they're a likely suspect because they're on a list that was, was cre- you know, that was um, curated for a purpose and right. trying to just get an appointment with them. And that's fine. You know, there's no real harm in that, although it doesn't work all that well <laughs> anymore anyway. But um, even if they're doing that or they're not, when the salesperson still needs a good amount of information before they actually get on the phone with this person or the people, if they're going to have a meeting with several people, Right. And right. that can take a good amount of time. And the SDRs don't usually hand that information over. 
Yeah. And, and the other thing, if you think about it, the, we, we've had this, um, one of the sales leaders said this to us, that they have two types of people. They have the type of people who actually go and do all the research and understand the company really well and understand the person really well and understand all the, they map the connections and they know exactly who they need to be speaking to and all the buyers and multi-thread their deals. But you know that's a problem because it takes so much time. Right. Uh, then they have the other kind of people who don't do any of that. And that's a problem too. Right. It's a problem on either end. And so I think, I mean, my preference, and I think most people who really understand how the buyer wants to buy today would prefer that their salespeople were armed with the right amount of information and that it didn't take them a long time to get that information. So this is really what IntroHive is able to do is serve it up quickly and just kind of the tidbits that the salesperson needs so that they're ready for that conversation. And, you know, it really does make the person on the other end think, wow, you spent a few minutes learning about me and and took some time. So I love that. That's right. And, you know, there's been this, you kind of referenced it, but there's been a shutting down on the part of, of people for two reasons. One, because uh, with the automation of email that's happened, right, through products like SalesLoft and Outreach, and they're great products, um, but, but it's caused a much higher volume, right? It's allowed us to send so many more emails in a day and it's allowed us to, to make so many more calls. And so, you know, Apple now has spam filters for unknown numbers and, and they, uh, email has more sophisticated spam filters as well. And so the, the response rates are going down and down, and especially in the last two years. So that's one thing. The second thing that's happened is that more and more people are going to review sites and they're doing their research before they actually even speak to you. So you're getting a smaller slice of their time and a smaller segment. So for us, we feel like the importance of those interactions has gone up because you're going to get fewer of them. So, you know, like they say, you don't get a second chance to make a first impression. I think like really understanding all of the, you know, who you're speaking to, who you know that influences those people and everything about them. If you can get that at a glance, that's what we think is going to be important. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I just love it. Now, okay, so you started this company um, about 10 years ago. And you were sitting around one day, you know, think you were doing another job, obviously, and thinking, gosh, this is a problem that needs to be solved. But before you actually tell us that, take us back, because I know you mentioned earlier, you never had any sales experience before you started your company. (laughs) And you've done this a few times. So take us back to, okay, you know, maybe even from college, wherever you started your first startup and, and walk us through how you got to starting this particular company yeah sure so um i was a teacher (laughs) i was teaching um computer courses to adult learners uh, at a college and uh, i was having a really good time the reason that i had uh, been selected for that was my interest in teaching but also i had a lot of certifications and windows 95 type you know era products windows nt and things like that networking essentials um and so when they went to look for somebody to lead that uh, new area that they were doing, they, they found me. So I was doing, I was doing a teaching job. Um, what ended up happening is somebody ended up starting a startup in my local area that was focused on teaching those exact same type of certifications, but to corporations. And they were doing it um, 
you know, on mass and in partnership with Microsoft and stuff. So they, they only had a handful of people at the time. Um, they, they called me and, uh, I ended up deciding to take a leap, take a, a, a huge pay cut, actually work for half the money that I was, I was currently making. And, uh, welcome I mean, to the startup like, world. <laughs> yeah. It just grew like crazy. It turned out to be very worth it, but it was, it was, uh, it was crazy. So then, um, you know, we, we grew and grew for about two years. I didn't really have any uh, view of the sales side of the business. I was running all of the product, uh, all of the the learning advisors, we call it the teachers, essentially, all the technical side of the house, everything but, but I had the marketing, I had everything but sales, um, essentially. And we sold the company about two years in, I went to work for the head office. And then uh, a year in or so, I decided to to leave and go start my own company. So when I when I started the, the company, it was it was a, a software again for to to teach, um, but it was a learning management system focused on sales teams. And so this was around maybe 1996 or so, 97 somewhere in there. And I realized that uh, very early on, well, one of the first things I decided to do is. Hire a head of sales because I didn't know sales. So hire a head of sales, which is a complete disaster, right? Because every meeting, they would have to bring you into the meeting and they didn't really know how to pitch the product. The product is changing every day. It was just like the worst combination. You have a fast changing technical product and a salesperson who's never really sold anything like that before. And you're hiring a leader uh, when it really you needed an individual contributor. And all yeah. the, you know every mistake I could make, I made it. But somehow we ended up being successful in selling the company three years later. <laughs> Nice, nice. Yeah, that mistake that you mentioned is one that I have heard before, but the way CEOs, you know, work, especially founders, there's so much to do. And you're thinking, what can yeah. I get off my plate? Well, I don't know much about sales, so why don't I just hire someone who does, right? Yeah, and then you're right. thinking, well, if I, I can't hire a salesperson because I don't know how to manage a salesperson, so I'll hire a sales leader, right? Yeah. Who will right. sell and kind of know how to lead themselves and lead sales. And, and then many times it turns out that it just doesn't work because like you said, you're still taking all your time to go on the sales calls. And yeah. so it, it's like, you know, you're paying two people to do one job, but it's it's what has to be done. And so founder-led sales is really important in the beginning of a company. And I often coach CEOs to take something else off their plate. And even if they haven't done the sales before, that entrepreneurial enthusiasm will carry you, you know. And it's almost better in a way because you're not... Uh, trying to follow a process or, you know, really be salesy. You're just going to talk to people to see if they need what you have, right? So yeah. that's why founder-led sales works so well. And the other thing too is um, one of the main things that I, I feel like makes a difference in sales is enthusiasm and belief in the actual product. And um, nobody believes with like, you know, unbridled and and often unfounded enthusiasm in their product, like the founder, right? So That's exactly just, right. yeah, they just have this crazy enthusiasm about the, their product, and that is somewhat contagious to people. The other thing is, in especially B two B sales, um, in the early days, marketing usually doesn't work. You know, right. it's really an effort of getting those first customers, those reference customers, and that's an outbound. Um, situation at least it's always been for me so you know when you're doing 
a whole lot of outbound and you hire a senior, you know, let's say a sales leader, you, that's not a person that's going to be doing a bunch of outbound probably. No, no, that's not what they want to be doing. And it, it is so true. And those first, very first customers are the ones who believe what you believe and they get excited when you tell them about what you're doing, you know, and that's what's so fun about it. But there does come a time though, when you do have to hire people to do the things and, and like sales, marketing operations and trust them to do it. Right. So, all right. So you hired this sales leader and you still had to, you know, do the sales in tandem, but it worked anyway. And uh, you did sell successfully. And then what happened? Um, so then uh, the dot-com crash happened and uh, the company that had acquired us basically went from, I don't know, 3,000 people down to 500 people. Um, I was happy to be done, get a little break for a while anyway, because <laughs> we had sold the company and stuff. Um, so I had, uh, for a while I did, I did nothing. And then I decided uh, after three years, I was like, you know what, why don't I, why don't I, um, Get, why don't I take an entry level sales job and see what just for a few months and just see what sales is all about? So I did that. Um, uh, it was it was like a pretty eye opening experience because it was my first real experience doing cold calling and getting hung up on and and all of that and fought, like really getting a much better understanding of the stages of a sales process and and um, ended up on you know it took me a long time and I think I had a much slower start than the the cohort of people who started, you know, with me. Uh, but then I eventually sold the biggest deal, the biggest tech deal that they had um, did. So it was, uh, it was a really fun experience. And then after that, the CEO of the company ended up um, deciding, he was like, one wanted me to essentially be his partner. So I took over as CTO and COO and uh, took over, you know, most of the, function of the company other than you know he he had a different sales leader um and uh and he he led finance because he was an ex-cfo but we we took that we it was public and uh yeah we ran it for several years and then we were acquired by blackberry oh wow yeah that's awesome so how did your perspective about sales change? Because I think it's so interesting that you said, hey, I'm going to just go take an entry-level sales job. I mean, most people <laughs> would not be humble enough to do that, I must say, after being a CEO, especially in a founder. Uh, so you did that job and you said it was hard and you didn't ramp up maybe as fast as some of the others, but you did end up uh, closing the largest deal. So how did it change your perspective and you know, thinking about at that time, but then, you know, even moving into your future, what was so great about that or hard about it, you know, that just really changed the way you thought about sales? Well, I think it really did two main things. Like I've been a big believer in just lifelong learning in general. So I'm constantly trying to read books. And I think that's probably been one of the big uh, success factors for, you know, for myself. And it's, you know, one of the main things that we always say at IntraHive, we're constantly trying to figure out what's the next thing that people could be learning that will, that will help them the next book they can read or whatever. That was a big gap for me. Um, just like really understanding what people are going through. Cause you can't coach people through, um, through selling problems as well. If you can't understand because you haven't done it before, I think. And, um, 
The, the second thing that it really did for me was give me the respect of salespeople because at that point I had the respect of the technical people, but there's this kind of like, uh, I don't know, it's a rivalry. I think in a lot of companies, the sales team doesn't understand the technical team and the technical team doesn't understand the sales team. And so I think it's helped to be able to have been on both sides of the fence. And so when these squabbles happen or whatever, or the tension builds, you can speak to everybody in their own language and you can like help bring a little bit more peace to everything and, and make let people under to know that it's really just a misunderstanding most often. Absolutely. And I do think that salespeople will quickly throw you under the bus, you know, if they feel like you don't understand what they do and you've never had any experience selling, right? They're like, ah, that person doesn't know anything, right? Yeah. Um, well, yeah. And they, they're always, and the, the engineering team is always saying, like, the salespeople are selling features that we don't have. How did they right. ever get come up with this idea? And the salespeople are saying, like, you know, how did these guys miss the timeline or whatever it is? And, and there's like very reasonable explanations for both. And it's usually just, you know, things that just happen. It's accidents, right? Right. It's miscommunication, but it's also, I think, salespeople are very enthusiastic and they want to please the customer. And so yeah. when they're talking to the customer and the customer's saying, oh, we really want this feature and you know, they know, well, it's coming or it should have been released or whatever. They're just going to sell it because that's what <laughs> that's salespeople right. do. And yeah, then they're right. going to expect the, uh, you know, the technical team to deliver on it. <laughs> that's um, right. And that is true for so many companies. And um, I've heard yeah. it a million times. Those salespeople are selling stuff we don't have, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's but, right. It's the nature of it, and I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing for a couple of reasons. I mean, sometimes it can get out of hand, but mostly they're selling stuff that you're pretty close to having, and they're pretty good at helping the customer understand that timeline. And it does put a little pressure internally for you to maybe hurry up and get that next release or that next offering out. So yeah, maybe it's not such a bad thing when our salespeople go out and sell everything that's not quite ready yet, right? Yeah, I think they need to put put themselves in each other's shoes and, and uh, have a little bit of understanding. And, and I, I think actually that's part of what um, we've been able to do pretty successfully. Like anytime there's like this kind of tension, we can find a way to create work groups or things like that that can kind of like get that communication out in a more effective way. Yeah, I think that's great. I also think it helps when the salespeople bring along the product people or the technical people occasionally on a sales call and they hear from the customer directly. I think that helps the communication and helps them collaborate and work together better. Yeah, we have uh, somebody in our product management group that his nickname internally is Captain Passion. Because he is just like, comes out of his skin. He just loves the product so much. And he just like, it comes through. and. I, I think he plays a big part in the in the meetings that he's in. He plays a big part in moving the deals forward, you know? I love that. I love that. All right. So let's go back a little bit um, before we come back to Intro Hive right now. So this, the, this you were selling and the CEO said, hey, why don't you come be my partner, be my CTO? He obviously saw that you had some more yeah. um, knowledge and experience in some other things. Yeah. So you did do that. And then yeah. what? Well, yeah, he like the second that his my resume was brought to him, he was like wondering right from the beginning, like, why do you want this job? Yeah. You know, so like right. we had that discussion early on, but I did want to give it a fair try. And like, that was my reason for being there was like, to really understand sales. So 
Um, but then, yeah, once I had that experience and I felt like I had a handle on it, um, he was, you know, he knew I was the next successful, uh, two time, uh, I was CEO once and, and yeah, I had exited of, successfully twice. Right. Yeah, exactly. So he, he wanted to, you know, to, to work with me on a bunch of stuff like that. And that was, it was just a really good experience. We, um, yeah, we built the company. It, it started growing really, really fast. Um, we had like when I, when I first arrived, it was actually a services company. And he said at the time, he was like, Hey, I heard, you know, you've done, you know, two software companies in the past. What, you know, what do you think about us doing software here? And so we started to talk over ideas and everything. And then we came up with this, with uh, this idea called a pushcast, which is basically kind of like Snapchat for enterprise. So you could record video based um, content, push it out to a dispersed sales team around the world um, and then have it appear at a certain time. So let's say, you know, the launch of the iPhone is going to happen at nine 30 EST. You can't train people on that until nine 30 EST, but then people are rushing into the stores asking questions about it. It's a big problem. Right. And, and so that was our product. And um, we, so we, we ended up, uh, they were getting a lot of problems with the services uh, side of the business. At this point, I ended up, um, working with them to, to build this team, to build the software. And then this, the software started selling really well. And, um, yeah, we, we ended up getting acquired by BlackBerry. So great. Wow. All right. So now here you are, you've done it several times and yeah. you're acquired by BlackBerry. So that probably gave you a decent payday anyway. Yeah. And you're thinking, all right, what's next? Yeah. Well, um, so I always, I always had a list of ideas that I would keep, like what my next thing was going to be. Um, this one kind of hit me a little differently than that, though. Um, I was I was working at BlackBerry, and I'd been working a lot. Like we had sold to a lot of big companies like AT&T and PwC and Verizon and a bunch of uh, companies like that. And um, I just noticed that people seemed to have this common problem that everybody needed to have a CRM and nobody wanted to use it. <laughs> Um, right. Then, <laughs> you know, let's pause on that for a second because I was just talking to a, a sales team earlier today, right? And it's like, why is that? So everybody wants to have a CRM, right? And I was thinking yeah. back to the days in the 90s, which you will remember with me way back when. Yeah. yeah. You know, we barely had computers, right? We, I mean, it just moved from typewriters to computers and we kept our contacts on a Rolodex, right? Or yeah. we had some kind of a book we put the cards in or we'd put them on a Rolodex and we'd go through them and we'd have our yellow pad so we knew when to call people, yeah. right? And then, you know, um, John Farrar came along and um, created Goldmine and then and someone else came along and created ACT. I can't remember that guy's name. And yeah. it was like, oh my gosh, you know, we have a computer and now you can put your contacts in the computer. <laughs> What's a that That's cool, right? right? That's and right, then, yeah. You know, then it was like, oh, now you can not just put the contact information in, they put a little place to put some notes in there, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's right. All right? Yeah. Remember those days? It was just crazy. And it just kind of grew up from there, right? Well, in the beginning, salespeople were thrilled to have that. Well, some of them were anyway. I mean, the, the early adopters uh, were happy. And then, you know, I knew people well into uh, 2000 still using Rolodex, unfortunately. <laughs> but <laughs> sooner or later, everyone came around. And, you know, then 
the days of Salesforce uh, began and that of course grew and grew and grew and, and all kinds of programs got hacked together to make that. But we made CRM into something that salespeople were delighted to have so they didn't have to carry around a whole bunch of cards or have a Rolodex yeah. on their desk, yeah. right? To something they dread using. Like, what happened? I know. Yeah, it, it's really crazy how how that all evolved. We we talk about, like, I think really people want to be informed and they want to yeah. have information. They just don't want to do the work to have to type a whole bunch of stuff in when they're also on this, you know, last 20 year journey of like do more, 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 more in the run of a day. Yeah. Um, and, right. you know, they're get, getting higher quotas and, you know, now hit 80 right. calls a day or whatever it is. And at the same time, they're being, you know, given grief because they didn't put the notes in after the last meeting or they didn't <laughs> enter all the contacts. They only entered the key contacts or whatever right. it happens to be. Right. So, yeah, one of the things that we started thinking about is like, if you could look and understand all of the meeting invites, all of the, you know, billions of email messages that are in an enterprise, and um, that you could probably do a pretty good job of filling in what those gaps are for them and, and make them not have to actually do that. Um, and the other thing we started thinking about is like, just, I, I noticed that a lot of people were sending for important accounts, they would sometimes send a company wide email, um, you know, to, 15,000 employees saying, does anybody know anybody in senior management at Pepsi or things like that? Right. We, I thought like, well, isn't that what the CRM's for? Like, shouldn't you just be able to go in and well, but it's and not really, it, you know, it's not really because CRM was really a place to store all the contacts that people happen to type in. And then LinkedIn was a system that also wasn't people you actually know. It's a system that people that you accept the invites of the people who tr- ask right. to connect with you, which turns out to be, a mishmash of people you know and people you right. don't know. So it was. Uh, I just got thinking more more about the, that opportunity, and then I I decided to uh, to take a crack at it. Wow! Oh my gosh! So you at the time you weren't you weren't working. You were in between, or were you still at BlackBerry? At no, no, time? I was still there. And <laughs> they started going through massive um, layoffs, um, and and so I was hoping to get laid off because um, I I didn't know exactly what we were going to do with this. You know, I just, I knew there's something there between like looking at email messages and meeting invites and stuff. There's just a lot of really cool stuff you could do. And uh, and so they did a big round, like 4,000 cuts, which was, I think, like a quarter of the company. And and then I was was thinking, God, like I didn't get cut because I had 10 years of (laughs) of seniority or whatever from from the time that um, it it kind of grandfathers in from the the time that you started at the previous company. And then, so it would have been a big severance. So I thought, well, I got to start this thing. I might as well wait for that. I'm, I'm about to get cut any day. And they cut and they cut and they cut. And like over the course of six months, it was like, I asked to be put on the list and they still didn't cut me. And then eventually I just quit. <laughs> so. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Wow. But well, yeah, I'm I sure mean, you were contributing in a significant way and they were sorry to lose you, but, um, but I get that you wanted to do your next thing. And I think it's so interesting that you mentioned that um, people would send out an email company wide. Hey, does anybody know anybody at yeah in the company? Right. It's something that I always ask the salespeople to do because many times when they do it, someone does know the person, not maybe the exact person they need to know, but somebody high enough, uh, high enough up in the company to actually make that introduction. And yep. 
they can't believe it when they first start doing it, when I tell them, hey, just you know, put it in Slack or Teams or send out an email and say, hey, does anybody happen to know anybody at Dow Jones, yeah. you know? Almost always someone comes back and they do. And it could be somebody, you know, that's technical at the company. It could yeah. be, you know, a product person, a marketer, but they it's almost always do. And it's crazy that we have no way internally, right, to share who we know. It, yeah. It's just crazy. And then if you, like you said, with LinkedIn, well, that sort of could be that place, right? Except that we all, especially in the beginning, just connected with anyone really who wanted to connect that was vaguely, you know, in our industry or whatever. And so we may or may not know them. That's why, you know, for everyone listening out there, if your teams are using LinkedIn, they need to think about the connections they're making. And if they're connecting with people they don't know or accepting connections from people they don't know, they need to take a couple minutes and get to know them. Just like if you were at a networking event, you wouldn't just shake the person's hand, tell them your name and walk away. You'd spend a minute or two asking them a few questions and getting to know them a little bit. Because once you've done that, then it does give you license to go back and say, hey, you know, we haven't chatted for a while, but someone at my company is trying to meet Someone at your company, would you be able to help me? And in most cases, they would say yes. But if we've never had any communication with them except for that original connection request and they accepted or you accepted, whatever it was, they're probably not going to do it, right? So, um, you know, LinkedIn could be that connective tissue. But then even then, a lot of people in our company either may not be on LinkedIn or they're not actually connected to the people that they really do know. And so it doesn't help us. So really, there's no way to do it unless you have a special tool that helps you do that. Yeah, that's right. So that was really um, what caused us to, to take off in the beginning is we focused on large companies because we knew they would have the biggest networks and uh, by inventorying, you know, it'll go back in time, like the, however far you want, like three years, figure out all the different people that you've been emailing with, all the different people you've been meeting with. Um, it, it can go through other communication systems as well, like phone systems and all that, figure out who all those people are. And it just builds this massive network that is actually valid. And the cool thing about it is not only does it know, who you know, it also knows how well you know them. So, you know, oh, let's say no. you're in a big company like PwC and you search for Tim Cook and you find that a hundred people have met Tim Cook or know Tim Cook. It can tell you who probably knows the best. And that makes a difference too, because you can have, have the opposite problem, right? Where there's too many people and who should you ask? So does it sort of score like, yeah. you know, Alice talks to Tim Cook all the time Um, not just by email, but by phone and maybe even text if it can track that or whatever. So it just knows that I'm the one who communicates the most with that person. Yeah. It uses a whole bunch of things now, like, um, you know, the the type of communication, the frequency of communication, the length of meetings, the time of meetings, the like, you know, if I email you a bunch of times and you don't respond, you know, there's all these kinds of factors, right. That it's, it's gotten pretty sophisticated throughout the years. Uh, but that's just, you know, that was our that was our first product, really. Does it use natural language processing to even see what kinds of things you might talk to them about in your emails? We, it can, but we, um, 
one of the things that makes us unique is that we are really good on the security and privacy side of things. Oh, so, great. Yeah. And so it allows us to, you know, without even, you can turn off message bodies in your organization entirely, and it's still going to do an amazing job of scoring people accurately. Wow. Oh my gosh, yeah. that's amazing. Okay. So you started the company and it was just you and who else? Yeah, it was, um, first it was just me for about, um, almost a year mm-hmm. uh, and a, and a contractor. Cause I was trying to, to, uh, you know, just get some progress going. Uh, Were you building I, I, the software? Cause you, you are a technical yeah. guy. I mean, when you actually do the coding too. Yeah, I was I was one of, I was the original coder uh, along with this contractor that I eventually brought into, and uh, and then I I brought in um, my uh, my wife at the time who was nice. a salesperson. Um, okay. So so, so I, I brought her in to help me. Um, then I brought the my my former partner, so the CEO of of my former company who was mm-hmm. was my partner at the previous one. So I brought him in. Um, and uh and then i brought the top um uh one of the top engineers from my last company and uh, and then mostly it was engineers from that point forward yeah oh yeah right right okay so in the early days of intrahive who was doing all the selling you said you had your wife doing some of the yeah selling. yeah really though pretty quickly it moved from uh me and her to me and Stuart, who was my um he was my my partner at the previous company. So Stuart and, and I were, uh, you know, pretty good selling team. Um, he was, he had essentially led sales at the, the previous company in addition to being CEO. And, um, so he, he just, you know, got a really good way with people. And, um, and, you know, I had done a fair amount of selling as well and sort of also acted as kind of like the quasi sales engineer and had a product oh, right. in, in those meetings. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we, we probably, we were the most successful, uh, I guess selling unit for probably about four or five years of the company's history, and we kept trying to, you know, try it. Okay, bring in another salesperson, see if that's going to work. And then, nope, you know, they'd they'd go for a year, and not be able to sell, and then we'd bring someone else in. And what we eventually learned at that was um, we didn't make the mistake of bringing in a sales leader too soon. But what we realized is even bringing in a salesperson in a complex sale. It, it it makes a difference if um, we, we instead took an amazing salesperson and had them just ride along with us. And so they, they did the selling process. They did all of the, took all of the notes. They kind of like rode along with us, helped get the deals closed. And then for, you know, it's sort of like, you know, pushing the, the bike along and then you take the training wheels off. And then first thing, you know, they were on their own and they were fine um, doing the selling on their own. But that was, that was uh, a guy named Adam Draper who was our first successful uh, salesperson at, outside the company. And then, and he's now our global head of sales, which I know oh, wow. they always, I know they always say not to do, but he actually is great. Well, and sometimes also just because the first people who start with you aren't the people who can grow with you, but it sounds like in this case he was, and I well, love he wasn't the first. He wasn't the he first. Was, he was just, he wasn't the first. He was the first successful right. one. Yeah. <laughs> so he was the first successful, right? And I like that you figured out, hey, this is like a sales project manager. They're going to come along with us and manage the project and watch us do the selling, 
right? I'll be the sales engineer and your partner's, you know, kind of the lead salesperson. And then this kind of project coordinator person, right, was learning how to be a successful salesperson. I think that's a really great way to do it because, you know, no one's ever going to sell exactly like the founders. That's just not going to happen. But um, being able to see them in action and manage the sales process at the same time is just a really great way to learn. Plus, they yeah. catch your enthusiasm, right? Because they see you and then they see the way the customer responds to you. And then yeah. they're like, oh, I get this, right? And it's easier for them then to believe what you believe, which then yeah. helps them when they get in front of the customer by themselves, right? Yeah, that's right. And that, he he was uh, an amazing salesperson before he came to us. He came from Radiant 6. I think he was their top seller. Um, but the and, and we had had a lot of those uh, people who came to Interhive and they just couldn't make it. But once we moved to that model, I think the difference is in the objection handling and the anecdotes uh, that, that come along, right? Because the founders have these historical anecdotes and these interesting stories that um, of, of why you chose to do things the way that you did in the product. And like, um, you can overcome the object- objections because you have a lot more history in it. There's no sales enablement department. You, you know, you're, you're a team of whatever, six or seven people, right? So, so I think like once you get big enough to have sales enablement, obviously the, the teaching people, the stories and te- teaching people, all of the objections and stuff like that it can get a lot more systematic and those problems go away. But those stories are so important, Jody. I think that um, people forget that those beginning stories about why you why you invented this, why people bought it in the beginning, um, how it worked, that can really help people feel like part of the company. And especially today, where it's so hard to attract and retain good talent, people want to feel like part of something. And if they're just out selling and they don't really know why and they don't know, well, who started this company and how they started, why they started, those founder stories are important. But, you know, sometimes 10, 20 years later, people are thinking, oh, that's not so important anymore. Just go sell the product. But it really, really is important. And it helps people feel like they're part of something, understand their job better, understand the customers better. So I think that's, really a good piece that you've put in there. Yeah, I, I really think that the the stories behind it, like of how you sold the first customer and, and what their use cases were. And like, even yeah. just like when you go into the next, let's say you're, you go into the next law firm or the next commercial real estate firm and being able to reference the, what that last firm used it for and, and how that, oh, you know, we sold to this company and they went and searched and they've, they were had an RFP in process and they, they found a contact and they were able to win that RFP, you know, like just having those stories makes a difference. It's not just like, we've got these features. Do you want to buy them? <laughs> right, right, right. And of course, I'm sure you have your team using your own software so that yeah. they can prove every day that it works, right? Yeah, yeah. But and a lot of a lot of times it comes down to even specific things like, well, yeah, it's not going to work for me because, you know, it's not going to work for me because... Um, of the size of our company we're we're not a, we're not a big enough company well actually you know this is what happened with this company or it's not going to work for me because i'm a tech company well did you know about that you know it's like it's always um 
everybody, a, a lot of companies, as you probably know, think they're different, right? And um, and so being able to have those stories about how they're actually not different, they're experiencing the same problems with maybe a little different t- twist. It gives them confidence that yeah. you're actually going to be able to help. Absolutely. All right. So the product has changed and grown and your sales team has changed and grown. So yeah, bring us up to where you are today and how do you go to market? You know, in the beginning, it was just salespeople probably didn't have a lot of money for marketing. Um, you know, you grew up into what you are today. So so bring us to where you are now and tell us how that happened. Yeah, so we've we've continued to so first it started out with like we were talk, talking about relationship intelligence, right? So intelligence about the relationships that your organization has, uh, those relationships that they have with your customer, and then we started adding more and more intelligence to the mix. We were saying, actually, why don't we? We already know what meetings they have in their calendar. Why don't we just um, give people a briefing of all the stuff they need to know before they speak to the customer, so that they can be a little bit more like a strategic seller. They can have some discovery done before their discovery. And um, and so, you know, the news about the person, the news about the company, and that library of what we call um, intelligence sections has just grown and grown. You know, we're going to have 40 different types of intelligence by the end of the year. So it's, um, it's become uh, really what we're calling now a customer intelligence system, which is just everything that somebody needs to know in order to be as informed as possible. And, and we hit them in so many different points in the, uh, in the buying journey. So when you're about to send an email, when you're about to read an email, when you're about to schedule a meeting or have a meeting or whatever. So it's, um, it's grown a ton in terms of the, in terms of the, the sales team and the marketing, you know, our, our go-to-market motion. I mean, that's just completely different than it was in the early days before it was just like really, you know, me and Stuart, leveraging our own network to find someone who would take a meeting with us to tell our story. And, uh, you know, we really started like that. And then, you know, using those, like you said, using connections of those connections, like you find, you make a happy customer, you really, really make them happy. Um, You put everything into making those first customers happy. And then they turn into some of your biggest champions and they're, they're going out and speaking for you. And that's the most effective kind of marketing you can have. And then, and then when that kind of goes to the next stage, you, you end up being able to do a little bit more, um, you know, you, you move from events-based marketing to being able to be a little bit more thought leadership as you continue to expand. And, you know, it's, it's a continual journey. And I'm sure, you know, when we, uh, you know, when we cross the, the mark where we're going public someday, I'm sure we'll have a completely different type of marketing. But now I would say we have probably about a third of our um our pipeline is, is partner generated. About a third of it is marketing generated, and then we still have a fair amount that's done by inbound. Or sorry, done by outbound. Wow! And how many salespeople do you have today? Uh, Twenty that are um, strictly salespeople, and then we have SDRs and we have SEs, and you know all, all the rest. Do you also have a, have a customer success function as well? We do. Yeah, um, it's we we put a lot of effort into customer success. Um, because it's a lot easier to keep a customer than it is to find a new one. And, uh, and also because I think the happy customers, um, you know, one of the, we were talking before the, this podcast about champion tracking, right? Yeah. So one of the biggest assets that we've had is we have a hundred and some thousand users at PwC. 
And those people every now and then change jobs. And when they land in another company, they become like, since they were fans of our software, they, they go to the next company, they become influential usually at their next uh, company. And that's called champion tracking. It's tracking where, you know, when people land in a new place, that's another opportunity for you. So we, um, you know, we're, we're a big fan of, of just using the network as much as you can. There's obviously that there's limits to that. Um, but it's, uh, it's definitely a, a big asset for companies that they don't tap into. Oh, 100%. I mean, we all know that it's easier to break into a company who doesn't know us if we have an introduction than it is yeah. to try to go in cold. And yet yeah. so many companies don't utilize that. They have everybody going after a cold before they're asking for an introduction. And yeah. with your tool, not only can they look internally to see who knows who, but it also serves up information to them that might be helpful and then seeing, oh, this company just bought that company or this company partnered with that company. I know somebody at the company they partnered with. Why don't I call them and see if they can make an introduction? I mean, it's feeding right. them what they need to possibly get an introduction along with, you know, going on LinkedIn and seeing, oh, who am I connected to that might know this person and might be able to make an introduction? So. They've yeah. got a lot more fed to them quickly um, yeah. and in a summary format that goes exactly with who they're meeting with. So um, I bet you make a lot of salespeople really happy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's the primary function of our customer success department is just it's they get measured on the happiness of our customers. It's it's a uh, it's not so much on the upsell. Upsell is a side effect of happiness of customers, you know. So where are you going next without giving too much away? You said maybe go public. So this will be the first time you've taken a company public, if that's the direction you go, or you have been known to sell some of your previous companies as well. But yeah. where are you growing to? Like before you do either of yeah. those things, what's next for you in terms of your of your growth? Well, the thing that was different with this one is like, I, I felt like I already had... Um, done enough uh selling <laughs> of of the company so i really had aspirations to take this one like big and so i think my risk tolerance was a lot higher in the early days uh, when uh yeah. when maybe you know maybe it shouldn't have been back then uh, but we made it through those hard times and now we're very well funded and um and growing really well mm -hmm. and so i'm just really excited about watching where it goes you know we're just we're seeing really big year over year growth every year and um, it's different sets of problems every every year, which is, I think, what makes it interesting. That's the great thing about uh, taking a company from early years to later years is it's just a continual learning experience all the time. Absolutely. Gosh. All right. So let's leave our listeners with maybe one or two things that you feel like have really helped you along the way. I mean, obviously, you started and sold several companies and learned some things the hard way. But what other things have you found that really have helped you propel the growth of your company? Um, I think being really picky on who you hire, um, which is not easy, right? Because when you're starting something, you have to convince somebody to quit. Like you're trying to convince somebody who's really good and has probably a great job 
to quit and come work at a place with no history. So that's your first selling job is trying to figure out how to do that. But, but if I think the, the higher, the quality of people that you start with, it makes such a difference. And, and just keeping that quality as much as possible makes, makes a huge difference in the, your ability to produce great software quickly, retain your customers, sell your customers and everything else. The, the second thing I would say is just like, you need to have incredible drive because if you don't, your, your people won't. And, um, and I, you know, it, that comes from really believing in what you do. And if you're just starting a startup because it's like the trendy thing to do, you're probably, it's probably not going to work because <laughs> it really is hard. It, 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 it's, it's not just hard, but it's really hard to not doubt, you know, that you're going to make it a lot of times. It's, uh, you, you have to push through those things and find a way. And there's a million times when you have to find a way, whether it's find a way to get that release out on time or find a way to launch that customer or find a way to raise that round. You know, if you, you're going to be continually hit with problems. Yeah. And it sounds like all the way from the beginning till now, you have stayed involved in sales. You've maintained yeah. a role. Of course, that role has changed because when you, it was founder-led selling, right? And you were doing all the selling and then you were training the salespeople. But now till today, it sounds like you're still involved in the sales process, but it's different. So just before we go, tell us a little bit about how you um, stay involved with sales and what your role is today in sales. Yeah, I'd say now it's a lot more getting involved with like sales enablement and sales ops. So it's like problem solving, right? Like, hey, uh, you know, commercial enterprise and strategic, which is which is more profitable? Should we have the you know, are we organized exactly correctly? Where should we be, you know, uh, cutting off on on which customers we market to versus which ones are outbound? It's more like um, it's a data problem. <laughs> you know, when you get to a certain size, it becomes a lot more about the data and really trying to find and optimize things in the selling process or in how you do your enablement or, you know, things like that. So I, I really like it. It's just very different. And how do your salespeople use you in the sales process, especially when they're doing a really large enterprise sale to a yeah. company that might be 10 to 100 times your size? How do you yeah. get them to utilize you, you know, to help move that forward? Yeah, well, actually, this is, um, <laughs> I didn't, didn't even mean to give this plug, but uh, executive alignment is what we, we call this is extremely important, you know, like, so in at two stages of the sales process, right? So when you're trying to win a deal or when you're trying to um, keep a customer, uh, maintaining executive alignment. So, so you know, the selling team is always going to be selling typically starting high and getting into the mid levels. And that's where the deals typically get closed. But if you can get your C-level people or your VPs connecting higher and, and keeping relationships in there, it really improves your chances of winning deals and it really uh, lowers your risk of losing customers if you're you know, a SaaS company or something like that. So that, that's um, something that I would say, especially after the sale, so often people, they sell the company and then they walk away and so do the executives. And that's not a good thing. It's so important. You know, I, I talked to um, Jaco Vanderkoy. I don't know if you know him. He's the winning by design guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, fantastic, right? And 
Um, you know, he always talks about instead of a funnel, think of it like a bow tie. You know, he turns it on his side. It's like, yes, the stuff comes in and yeah, you get it closed. That's the middle of the bow tie. But that's just the beginning, folks, right? <laughs> then we yeah. have to take that relationship, nurture it, onboard them well, get everybody engaged and go deeper and wider. And that is a really good time to bring in senior executives as well. So Absolutely. I think on both ends, yeah. you know, there's proper times, but I don't think our sales teams are well-trained in how to position their senior leaders sometimes. And so they don't always bring them in, or if they bring them in, they don't really know what to do. And it's kind of awkward. I don't know if you've yeah. ever been on you know, sales calls, yeah. but it can be no, a bit think- awkward, but it's so important to, to, teach them how to do it well. That's a good point. Um, we have a process for it. We do EBRs, um, executive business reviews, where they'll, they'll, they'll ask the client to bring executives and, and we'll do the same on our side on a regular basis to just kind of find out, you know, what can we do better and, and what's the next things they'd be interested in and, and things like that. But, um, you know, that's what makes your company exponential is paying attention to the customers after the sale because it drives upsell and it drives retention. And that's how you build on top of what you're creating. Upsell, retention, and loyalty, right? So if they if they buy more and they buy it more often or they buy other things that you sell, right? They become more and more loyal. And I find with my clients and my with my myself and the clients that I serve that loyal customers are very willing to shout from the mountaintops if you ask them to. And they're very willing to make introductions to others who could use, you know, the same quality of service and products that you provide. And so it's really a missing piece if companies are not paying attention on the other side of the sale, of the initial sale. Absolutely. Advocacy is, is really important. Yeah. Well, gosh, thank you so much for being with me today. I really appreciate it. I'm so excited to continue watching what Intro Hive does and how you grow and and change in the marketplace and um, be watching to see if you go public or what happens next. But I do wish you the very best. You have a very amazing company, great people, very dynamic, and it's just been a pleasure to be able to talk to you today. Yeah, it's been so nice to meet you. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks for tuning in to Sales Talk for CEOs. You can find me at alicehyman.com. Be sure and connect with me on LinkedIn and let me know that you heard the show. If you found value in today's episode, please subscribe, write a review, and share the show with another CEO.